I remind you of what we read today. But in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Now, what is Paul referring to, the things that, that we read? If God is for us, who could be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? So who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is he who died, yes, rather, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or sword or peril? And then he goes on to say, through all those things, we're more than conquerors. And I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth. Now, you think he pretty much covers everything, but he throws this last one in. Nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God in Jesus Christ. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, what a fantastic love this is. That once you have extended your love to us through the person and work of Jesus Christ, once you have laid your hand upon us, called us by name, and drawn us unto yourself, once you have changed our hearts and given us this new heart, nothing in all the created world can separate us from that love. Your promises are clear and they are plain towards those whom you call, those whom you love, those whom you have saved, Lord, that we can never be taken from the palm of your hand. That if, if this earth had voice, if the grass could cry out and then it would give you praise for your wonders and your works. And we think of this great gift that you have given to us, this gift that is undeserved, that could not be earned, but yet you bestow it upon us. In fact, Lord, it says you rain your grace down upon those whom you love. And we think how unworthy we are, but yet you love us nonetheless. Today, Lord, as we have heard these songs, as we have heard the voices of these children sing your praises, we think in our own hearts, Lord, of your mighty works, the way that you have brought us along in life, allowing things into our hearts, uh, sometimes calling us back from when we have strayed, and you have repeatedly shown your grace to us. Lord, come today that we might know this anew. For those who are struggling in the midst of something, Lord, that, that is weighing upon their heart, bring mercy and strength to them. Come upon Belinda in particular and, and minister to her and also remind us that we might be uh, your hands and your feet concerning her care. Lord, in all things that you have done, remind us of the great work of Christ. For we come not in our own efforts, not in our own works, but resting upon his. Now we share together the prayer that he taught us as we say, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done 
on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And the Lord has blessed us repeatedly and in many ways. And we have the opportunity to return that blessing and for his work and service in the kingdom. So I'm going to invite the ushers to come forward at this time that we may give to the Lord as he has blessed us.
Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for the many blessings that you bestow upon us, the blessings we can see and, and have before us, but also the things that you do in our lives, Lord, that, that uh, we are acutely aware of, your guidance and your protection, your wisdom and your insight. We ask, Lord, that these gifts would be used that others might know of those same things, most importantly of the love of Christ, that they might hear it from our mouths and see that love demonstrated in our lives. We ask these things in his name. Amen. So please be seated.
We come to the last chapter of Acts, kind of, how about that? And some very important things happen here that we need to look at, and they're important for the church today and for how we live our lives. So I'm going to read from Acts chapter 28, the first half today. We'll get the second half of the chapter next week, verses 1 through 16. So please remain seated while I read God's Word. Lord, if you would come today, we pray, open our hearts and minds that we might understand your Word, that we might see it, Lord, that we may see how it is you call us to live and the power that is available to us as we seek and do your will. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Acts chapter 28. When they had been brought safely through, then we found out that the island was called Malta. The natives showed us extraordinary kindness, for because of the rain that had set in and because of the cold, they kindled a fire and received us all. But when Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and laid them on the fire, a viper came out because of the heat and fastened itself on his hand. When the natives saw the creature hanging from his hand, they began saying to one another, Undoubtedly, this man is a murderer, and though he has been saved from the sea, justice has not allowed him to live. However, he shook the creature off into the fire and suffered no harm. But they were expecting that he was about to swell up or suddenly fall down dead. But after they had waited a long time and they had seen nothing unusual happen to him, they changed their minds and began saying that he was a god. Now in the neighborhood of that place were lands belonging to the leading man of the island named Publius, who welcomed us and entertained us courteously for three days. And it happened that the father of Publius was lying in bed, afflicted with a recurrent fever and dysentery. And Paul went in to see him, and after he had prayed, he laid his hands on him and healed him. After this had happened, the rest of the people on the island who had diseases were coming to him and getting cured. They also honored us with many marks of respect, and when we were setting sail, they supplied us with all that we needed. This is God's inspired word for us today. Now, we never know when the Lord will use us uh, for His purposes or enable us or protect us in a, in a powerful way. Now, I want to share a, a story of a, a pastor friend of mine. This is when he was young and, and uh, not very well known at that time. He's much better known at, at this moment. But he was off at, at a small church uh, that had asked him to come and preach for four or five days. And, and he would preach in the evening and then uh, do some work during the days. And he had been there all week, and this was Sunday morning. And, uh, you know, he was, it was, the service was going on. He was looking at his watch, and he had to get, get out and get his plane. So the service ended, and he had been, been preaching there all week. And this woman came up to him, and she was just, just sobbing and crying and, and saying, I've come here all week, and, and I've started to attend this church, and my, my children and I, with the hopes that my, my husband would come as well. But he just he discounts anything spiritual. He doesn't believe in God, and, and we've had no effect on him. And, and I think he's so disheartened. I think he wants to leave us, and, and, and I, I just don't know what else to do. Well, he had a plane to catch, and, and he was a little stressed about that, so he sat down and prayed with the woman, and the woman described her husband to him, and, and he really you know, was burdened with this, but there wasn't much he could do other than, than seek the Lord with her, and then he had to go. So he runs out in the parking lot, gets in the car, 
and, and pulls out of the church lot and, and down the road. It's a two-lane road to get to the main road, and he's watching. He's got to get to the airport, and he sees a hitchhiker out there. And as he drives by the hitchhiker, he goes, that looks just like the guy that that woman described. So he pulls off the road. And, and the hitchhiker sees that, and he walks up, and he's got his backpack, and he comes in, opens the door, and sits down and says, oh, thanks, man, I appreciate it. I'm just... Uh, you know, I just don't know, don't know what's going on. I don't know where I'm going. I just need to go down this way. And he looked at him and he said, that is, he said in his own heart, that is the guy that the woman just described to me. And he looked at this guy, my pastor friend, and said, you're leaving your wife and children. He says, I'm from God and he wants you to go home. He wants you to be the husband that you're supposed to be. He wants you to be the father you're supposed to be. He wants you to go to church with your wife and children. He said the guy was pale. Okay, the guy just went away. All the blood just drained out of his face. Because the guy was convinced that this was an angel who just showed up out of nowhere. and and Because he had never seen my pastor friend before. And he said, now get out of the car and go back to your house and wait for your wife. And be the man that God wants you to be. He said, the guy got out so fast. And he, off he went back down the road. He thought he'd been in the presence of an angel when it was just my pastor friend. Who's no angel? Okay? <laughs> but there are times when the Lord will visit us with certain, uh, how, how do we describe this, angelic things. There are plenty, there's plenty of evidence of this. And, and Billy Graham wrote a book called Angels, and he's got several examples of it in, in the introduction, and I'm going to read one of those to you. It deals with the Reverend John Patton, who was a pioneer missionary in the New Hebron Islands. And he tells about how he, he and his family were protected by angels one night, and they had no, no idea what was going on. Hostile natives had surrounded their house, and they were intent upon burning them out and killing the missionaries because they were bringing the message of the gospel to these people, and these people were losing power and losing favor as, as the gospel was spreading. And, and John wrote, he said, we have any other alternative. He said he and his wife simply hunkered down and prayed all night while all of these people were out there. We, we figured we didn't know what they were doing. They were going to burn us out. They are going to kill us. In the morning, they were still there. The house was fine. All the threats were gone. Well, it was about a year later when the head of this party came to Christ. The head of this party that came to their house to destroy them came to Christ. And John Patton was talking to him. And he said, a year or so ago, you came to kill my wife and I and and to destroy our house. What happened? He said, well, we got there, but we found that your house was surrounded by all these armed men. They had these gleaming robes and these big swords. and, And we were frightened, so we just turned and went away. And Patton says, we had no idea that the Lord had sent his angels to protect us and to keep us safe. But every once in a while, he will do that, especially if for those who are out on the edges of, what, the Lord's work. When you are out doing those things that the Lord calls you to, or maybe when you step out in faith and, and seek after those things that the Lord says, I want you to do this, and the rest of the world says you must be out of your mind. But you know the call of the Lord, and you know what he wants you to do, and you go out, and sometimes the Lord will bring that protection into your life in those ways. Now, I don't want you to misunderstand. I'm not talking about uh, going and playing in traffic and expecting the Lord to protect you, okay? You, the, this does not give us license to be stupid. Okay? There are things that are rules of the world. You can't go up and on the top of your roof and say, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Now I'm going to fly and jump. 
Because you're going to fly where? Right down, okay? And you can't be stupid with these things. But when the Lord sends you out, he also puts his protection upon you. Let me tell you about my brother-in-law, who uh, he and, and uh, Judy's sister were missionaries in Mexico for, for many, many years. And he told me once, I think it was Christmas Eve, he was out trying to get home, and, and there he is driving through the mountains of Mexico. And he said, it's so foggy, you can't see anything, and they are way up in the mountains. And, and you know, here's the road, and here's the edge of the road, and off of here is nothing. And he is driving along, just creeping along, and all of a sudden he decides, I've got to stop. So he stops. And he gets out, and he's going to walk ahead and see the road. And he walks up to the edge. Here's the front of the car. He walks to here, and there's the edge of the cliff because the road turned this way. But the fog was so great, he couldn't see it. Now, why at that moment did he stop the, car, the, the truck and get out and go and look at the road? He said, I'm too stupid to do it myself. It must have been the Lord. It must have been the Lord protecting him and guarding him. And looking over him because he was out on the edges of society doing the mission work that the Lord had called him to do. Well, here is Paul and doing the same thing. He is out on the edges and the Lord protects him in a miraculous way. Now, we just read Acts 27 where he brings everybody on the ship safely to land. And just to review, remember that this is a hurricane-strength storm. And it's a wooden boat with one mast, and it's really tenuous. But the Lord says, I have promised all the people on the boat will survive. The boat's destroyed, the cargo's destroyed, everything else is destroyed, but the people have survived. Now, just imagine, they they bring the boat up to the rocks, and the prow is stuck on the rocks, and here are the waves crashing on the back, and everybody gets out and swims or clings to float some and gets onto the beach. And you have to understand, if you've ever been to the beach in times of storm or hurricane, how big the waves can be. And the odds that everybody on the boat would survive are so thin, we can't even talk about them. But all 276 people on the boat survived. They made it safely to shore. And here they get, they're not sure where they are. Remember, they've been drifting in this storm for some 14 days now. They don't know where they are. And they land at the island of Malta. Malta is about 18 miles long, 8 miles wide off the coast of, of Sicily. And here they go in verse 2. The natives showed us extraordinary kindness. It was not uncommon for people to be shipwrecked on islands and on places, and to people come out and to rob them blind of whatever they survived with, or even to turn them into slaves. Now, the Greek word here, it says the natives, it actually says the barbarians, okay? Because for the Greeks, everybody who didn't speak Greek was a barbarian. And that comes from the way that they would mimic their language by going bar, bar, bar. Okay. Whenever they would be, foreigners would begin to talk, they'd say, oh, bar, 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 and they called them barbarians because of that. So here you have the threat that they might be sold into slavery by these barbarians at first thought, but when in reality they are showed this extraordinary kindness. The natives showed us extraordinary kindness for because of the rain that had set in, because of the cold, they kindled a fire and received us all. Now, understand, they had been on the boat for 14 days. They've had very little to eat except right at the end when Paul encouraged everybody to eat. They've made their way through the surf. They're soaking wet. 
it's probably mid to early November, so the temperature is typically about 50 degrees. Now, you come out of the ocean after you've been soaking wet at 50 degrees, you know, you are just chilled to the bone. Well, they're going to start a fire. And, and it's interesting that the kindness that is shown to Paul and to these people will be repaid shortly, and we'll see that in a moment. Um, I'm going to turn to Genesis chapter 12. If you have your Bibles, you can follow along, but Genesis chapter 12. And we're going to see that this is a concept in Scripture, that those who belong to the Lord, when non-believers show them kindness, there is a blessing that comes to the non-believer. We see this first in Genesis chapter 12, verse 3, and this is the promise that God makes to Abraham. I'll give you the first two verses as well. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land which I will show you. And I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great. And so you shall be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you. And the ones who curses you, I will curse. So it doesn't, it's not talking exclusively about believers because as far as Abraham knows, he's the only one the Lord has laid his hand on now. All those who bless Abraham, they will be blessed by the Lord. Okay? I will bless them. It's the attitude that the disciples have as they go out. They're supposed to go, and as people receive them and invite them into their homes, there is a blessing associated with showing kindness to those who belong to the Lord. Now, back in Romans chapter 2, we see, well, you, you might think that, okay, well, believers, we kind of understand this. We kind of understand the importance of hospitality, okay, the importance of inviting people over and being nice to them and extending ourselves beyond our, our own comfort zone. Well, what about non-believers? What about pagans? Uh, do they have any sense of this? Do they have any sense that this is a, an acceptable way or to live or a way that they might uh, experience the things of the Lord in some fashion? Romans chapter 2 lays this out for us in verse 14. For when Gentiles, who do, Gentiles would be non-believers here, for when Gentiles who do not have the law do instinctively the things of the law, these not having the law are law unto themselves, in that they show the work of the Lord written on their hearts. Written on their hearts. You see, there is this sense in every heart because here it is made plain, it is written on every heart, a sense of the law of what is right and what is wrong. A sense of, oh, here are 276 people who are shipwrecked, and they have survived a hurricane, and they've come to shore. There's a sense that it is the right thing to do to extend kindness to them, to reach out and to touch them and to care about them. So the activity of the people on Malta is a classic example of what we call the internal revelation, the stuff that's written on the heart of every person. Whether they believe or not, there's a sense of right and wrong written in our hearts. Okay? So here on the, on the shore, we have a situation. And as the situation changes, go back to uh, Acts, if you're there. Situation changes. We kindled a fire and gathered a bundle of sticks. Now, who is gathering a bundle of sticks? Paul. Now, remember on the trip, Paul started as a prisoner, and then he made some comments about what they should do, and he was 
discounted, and then it turned out that he was right. So they began to listen to Paul, and then he had a, an, a vision from the Lord that everybody on the ship would be saved. He made sure everybody stayed on the ship. They were all safe. By the time they get to the land, Paul's in charge of everything. Okay, But what do we find Paul doing? Look at verse 3. But when Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks... See, they had the fire going. The, the, Malte, the Maltese started the fire, so Paul's out gathering sticks for more stuff. He's not supervising, okay? Oh, we always do the joke. What is it? Um, uh, at a certain age, you don't get paid for what you do, but for what you know, right? Okay? Or you come in and you're the supervisor because you've done, been there, done that, and you don't have to do it again. Paul has been there. He's done that. He's done everything. He's been everywhere. And what is he doing? Serving. Okay, he is serving the other 275 survivors by going out and gathering these sticks. Paul is not above this. He's not above everybody. Remember, there's something that Jesus said, if you want to be the, 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 the what? If you want to be greatest, you've got to be the least. If you want to be first, you've got to be last. Okay, he did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Okay. We want to understand our model of leadership. It starts with service. Remember when we ordain and elect elders, they are called to serve. Okay? So, grab an elder, have him wash your car. Okay? So, this, is, this, is a, this is a potential. Okay? So, let's look at this and what happens here. Verse 3. But when Paul had gathered a bunch of sticks and laid them on the fire, a viper came out. Now, there are no poisonous snakes presently on Malta. But obviously at this time there were, this uh, 2,000 years ago. So here we have a viper, and it is a particular word meaning a poisonous snake, latches on to Paul. Now, you know how snakes are. It's, um, uh, you know, if you want to clean out a creek, you do it in the cold weather, you don't do it in the warm weather because that's when the snakes are are active, okay? So the snake was cold, put the stuff by the fire, the snake warmed up, kind of came out of its slumber, finds Paul's hands and bites him. And everybody looks at him and says, he's a goner, okay? Because it was probably described as a two-stepper, okay? You're going to be bitten, you're not going to get very far, and you're going to die. They're waiting for Paul to swell up and foam up at the mouth and nothing happens. Now, look how they l- perceive what is going on here in verse 4. When the natives saw the creature hanging from his hand, they began to say to one another, Undoubtedly, this man is a murderer, and though he has been saved from the sea, justice has not allowed him to live. Okay? So here again, we see a sense of right and wrong that is written upon these non believers. Hearts, And we can go back to Romans chapter 1, verses 18 and 19 and see the same thing there. Now, now what they say here is that justice has not allowed him to live. If you have your Bible, you might find that justice is capitalized. Now, this is not just a sense of justice. This was justice, one of their deities on Malta. Justice would be the daughter of Zeus. And it was thought that the daughter of Zeus paid back everybody. Okay. Now, it seems that Paul survived the water, uh, but the snake got him. Okay. So, obviously, he escaped here for a moment, but Justice, the goddess, got him on payback. And he, but but the, he's not dead, and they don't fully understand this. Okay. So, if he doesn't die from a snake bite, what's the logical answer? 
he must be a god. Okay? Such is their animistic view of the world. If he has survived the shipwreck and he has survived the snake bite, he must be a god. Well, this, you have the view the right and wrong is written on their hearts, but that only goes so far. Because they have this clear sign from the Lord that my hand is upon this man. And I have told him repeatedly that he will go to Rome. So a snake bite is not going to slow him down. So they don't understand that this is a sign from the Lord. They need a, uh, somebody to interpret this sign for them. So what happens is that Paul, who felt no harm from the snake bite, is simply really... How would you say? Fulfilling a prophecy from Luke chapter 10. Let me read this to you. This is when the 70 are sent out by Jesus. The 70 have returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I was watching Satan fall from heaven like lightning. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing will injure you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are recorded in heaven. So Jesus says, don't get all excited that you're going to be able to go out and face things like Paul did. Oh, a snake bites me. I'm not going to die. Don't rejoice at that. Rejoice that your name is in heaven. That is what is really important. That is what is really important. Now, I know that you're thinking, well, we can't talk about poisonous snakes without looking at Mark and the very end of Mark. So that's where we're going to go now. Mark 16. I personally don't know anybody who's handled snakes. Does anybody know anybody who's handled snakes? Not like a snake wrangler. I mean somebody in worship who has picked up a poisonous snake and said, as a sign of God's blessing in my life, as a sign of faith, I'm going to handle this snake. And usually you see them dancing around or uh, worshiping while they're carrying a copperhead or a rattlesnake or something like that. They do that because of what they find here in Mark. And it's really a, a terrible understanding, interpretation of this. Because we're going to look at this passage in Mark. Keep in mind what we have seen already. It's about those who go out on the edges of the mission field. It's about those who are doing the things called that they are called to do by the Lord. He will protect them. It doesn't say he will protect them all the time. But there are certain times when he will intervene in their lives and protect them. So here's the call, uh, Mark chapter 16, verse 15. And he said to them, Go into all the world, preach the gospel to all creation. He who has believed and has been baptized shall be saved, but he who has disbelieved shall be condemned. These signs will accompany those who have believed, and my name will cast out demons, they will speak with new tongues, they will pick up serpents, and if they drink deadly poison, it will not hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick, and they will be recovered. This, is not, this does not say that Randy should have snakes hanging back here ready to pull out and worship. This is saying like Paul, out on the very fringe, out on, he's pushing the envelope of ministry and the Lord is protecting him in these fashion. It's about George who is doing missions down in Mexico and there he is on his way somewhere to serve the Lord in, on a very foggy night and he can't see the road in front of him and for some reason he stops right there and what is the next step away? Death and off the edge. It's about the missionary in the New Hebrides who is simply 
presenting the word of the Lord, and the Lord comes and protects him in a supernatural way. See, these are the things that are going on here in, in, in what Paul is doing on this island. And he is not a God. He is just a man who has been called by the Lord to do the Lord's work. Well, the short version is he does the Lord's work so well that they begin to bring the sick to him. Because if they assume he's a God, surely he can heal people. And he does. The people are healed. And this one person in particular, Publius, the father of Publius. And it happened that the father of Publius was lying in bed, afflicted with recurrent fever and dysentery. There's a, a special, even today, there's, there's a, a microbe that is particular to Malta because of the goats and the goat milk that is on that island. So this is probably what it was because it was a recurring issue in the guy's life. Paul goes to see him. He prays. He lands lays hands on him, and he is healed. After this happened, the rest of the people on the island who had diseases were coming to him and getting cured. Now, remember we talked about non-believers blessing believers. And then there's the fulfillment of this, that the Lord will bless them. Well, what happens historically on Malta is there is a church created, and the first head of that church is a guy named Publius. Okay, Paul is there for some, I don't know how long, 30 days or so, three months, I think it's three months, preaching the gospel again and again to this crowd. They were so kind to him and all the survivors, now he is there for three months presenting the gospel, and, and there's a, a great change that takes place on this island. Now understand, when Paul goes, we have one of two things, and he preaches the gospel, you have riot or revival. Malta gets the revival. There's no mention of riot here. There is only a mention of the change of life that comes and the church that is planted here. Now, Paul talks about in Corinthians the principle of sowing this spiritual truth that when you go and preach the gospel, when you go and present it and lives are changed, there is blessing that comes. And, and this is one of the principles that we see here. When non-believers hear the gospel and their lives are changed, they act. Verse 10. They also honored us with many marks of respect, and when we were setting sail, they supplied us with all that we needed. Such was Paul's time there on the island of Malta, that when they left, the islanders supplied him and that entire 275 other people with everything that they needed. Now, you think in your own life, okay, when, when have I been protected? When have I been doing something for the Lord and he has stepped in and kept me safe? Sometimes you don't even know, okay? You might end up in heaven and, and, and you know, somebody comes and tells you something. You know what? You never even saw me, but this is what I did. Or, or somebody may come to you later in life and say, you know, I watched you live the Christian life, and I saw the things of Christ evident in you. And I just wanted to tell you that because of your life, mine was changed by Christ. I can't say that an angel will come and visit any of us. I can't say that the Lord will protect us. But there are plenty of instances when he has and we should not go out afraid to do the Lord's work, even when it seems like 
not the wisest thing to do according to the wisdom of the world. But if the Lord calls us to act, that's what we must do. And we must trust him. So let's pray. Lord, in your kindness and mercy, we see your hand in Paul's life. And, and we think, well, I'm no Paul. But then we see your hand in the life of this pastor, who by the hand of providence was not an angel, but you used to restore family. We see your hand in the life of missionaries that some of us know, how they have been protected from things, how they have survived diseases and afflictions, how you have cared for them. Lord, we pray that our hearts and our eyes and our minds might be sensitive to these things and not fearful that when you call us to something, you will also sustain and provide for us that those things might be achieved. Let's not be afraid of the things of this world, Lord, but place our trust wholly and completely in you. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Dismiss us with your blessing that we might know of your care in our lives. That we might know of your protection and the great call that you place upon every believer. That those around us, Lord, might hear from our mouths and see in the distinction of our lives the things of Christ. 
your mercies and your grace as you have given them to us, might they be demonstrated to others with complete reliance and trust upon you. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.